Okay, on Wednesday we got into Philippians chapter 3. So I thought we'd start off uh, reading the chapter. If I can get a couple of volunteers. Somebody to read 1 through 11 and then 12 to 21. Okay, Boyd, why don't you do 1 through 11. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay. Sarah, you want to finish it out? Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to, that he has even to subject all things to himself. Okay. So, we saw Wednesday, early part of the chapter, uh, Paul starts off warning them about uh, certain people think primarily the uh, Judaizing teachers uh, who are trying to lead the Christians away from the truth. Uh, and then Paul kind of 
makes an aside to talk about his credentials as a Jew and comparing that to those that were trying to lead them away. And we saw how his credentials would have topped anyone else's credentials. And he said that to say what's next. All that was meaningless. You know, I had all these credentials, but for the cause of Christ, that's all meaningless. Uh, And that's kind of where we were when we ended Wednesday night. Uh, You know, like verse 7, for whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Uh, More than that, I counted all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So, he lost those things for something much of much greater value. You know, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So, what does it mean to know Jesus? <clears throat> thought that's as good a place to start as any. What does it mean to know Jesus? Bob? I'll take a stab at it. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the things that it means, it means many things, but I think the first thing, the, the <coughs> thing is, is to, to recognize and acknowledge that he is the Son of God and he has been sent to redeem us from our sins. Uh, and uh, that's the primary knowing, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, that draw drew Paul to him, mm-hmm. uh, understanding that, acknowledging it, and the acknowledgement is actually the forfeiture of end of his life. Mm-hmm. Okay, sir. And it's it can't be simply a an intellectual knowledge of the fact that there was once a person who was known as Jesus, mm-hmm. um, or even that that person was purported to be the son of God but it I I didn't look it up but I suspect that this knowing is more of a relationship and, and getting to know and oh. having that intimate relationship with mm-hmm. um, with Christ as opposed to just kind of knowing who he is or or whatever mm-hmm. yep Chris it sure seems that he's making a comparison there of values Yes. You know, he's going through all the physical things and, and whatever, and, and all this, you know, knowing Jesus, of course, involves a lot of things. But in this context, it appears he's saying, look, I've got all these physical attributes and awards and, and everything else, but the value of knowing Jesus is more than that value. So you put them on a scale, <laughs> and, you, and the two don't, they're not compatible. I mean, there's right. no... There's no crossover in the values there. If you put that on a teeter-totter, one side's always going to be up. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's right. He's definitely comparing that value. And 
knowing Jesus is certainly more than knowing about him. Uh, there's any number of people that have heard of Jesus. I mean, you look in this country, there'd be very few people who hadn't heard something about Jesus. And so, in that sense, they know Jesus. They know he existed, or there was a claim that he existed. A lot would even know that he claimed to be deity. But having that intellectual knowledge is not really the same thing as knowing Jesus. Uh, and, and as Sarah pointed out, uh, the relationship factor comes in there. And, and, and I agree. I think, that's, uh, I think that's very important. And Paul had that kind of relationship. Uh, he loved Jesus. He trusted him. Uh, he relied on him and he obeyed him. Yeah, Misha? Paul knew who Jesus was before and yet he was persecuting him. Exactly. Yeah. There's a difference of change there. Yeah, certainly a big change. And so that's a good point. He knew Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. Uh, Chris? Also in this context, he's looking at those that were claiming all these things through the old law and making that comparison as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, they're, mm-hmm. they're making all these claims and he said, well, hey, if you want to go that route, I'll, I'll you know, compare with you and, and you don't even have an argument there. Besides that, that argument's worthless. Uh-huh. And then he says all of that is nothing compared to knowing Jesus, which... Is that a slam on these other guys? You know, is that saying, <laughs> yeah, they're trying to tell you how great they are in the law and in, uh-huh. uh, in that, and that's nothing, but I'll give all that up for, for right. Jesus, which right. may be indicating they haven't. Yeah, and uh, and actually the next verse, we'll get into that more. Uh, but uh, notice what he said about these things. Well, one other thing before that... Uh, He said, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, I found out that's the only time that term is used in the New Testament. You know, Christ Jesus my Lord, or or in Paul's writings. And so, I think there's some significance there. It's a, a very personal type relationship. Uh... So, uh, so I thought that was worth pointing out. But then, at the end of the verse, he shows what his attitude is toward all of those credentials that he had and his standing under the law, under the Old Testament law. He counted those things as rubbish. Some translations say dung. Uh, I mean, that's... That's pretty severe. It's worthless. It meant nothing to him because it didn't have the value that knowing Jesus had. Uh, so, uh, any other thoughts on that before we uh, move into verse 9? Okay. Uh, 
And then verse 9 says, And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So, this idea of the righteousness under the law, and you know, Chris mentioned that. Uh, Paul had come to realize that didn't mean anything. And why would the righteousness under the law not mean anything? It seemed to for a long time before Christ came. So why would he say that? Well, for one, the righteousness under the law didn't really lead to resurrection in the same way that righteousness with Jesus leads to resurrection because they didn't really know in some ways they didn't really realize what their goal was or what the fullness of the resurrection would be and also I think the law in many ways didn't teach them how to be a good person in the same way that Jesus example teaches us okay Katrina there was no way to there was no way to keep the law perfect and so they couldn't be perfect and they couldn't be absolutely holy Mm -hmm. under the law yeah, uh, look over to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Paul writes about that there, and I thought that was worth taking a look at. But, uh, you know, that point is made. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 10, says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So, righteousness from the law could only happen if the person kept that perfectly. And we know no one did save Jesus himself. Which made him that perfect sacrifice for us. So, the law couldn't bring that salvation because no one kept it perfectly. Uh, And Paul recognized that. Even though as good as he was under the law, and we're told that he was blameless, you know, we looked at that earlier in the chapter, but that didn't mean he kept it perfectly, and he knew that. And so, uh, he knew the way of Christ was far superior. And so, that righteousness under the law was meaningless to to him. Uh, Another thing uh, that we find here in the last half of the verse it talks about but that which is through faith in Christ 
the righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. So he uses the word faith twice, talking about the faith in Christ and uh, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And uh, from what I read, there seem to be a couple of possibilities. Uh, when it talks about faith of Christ, he could be talking about the faithfulness of Christ. Uh, that we're accounted righteous by God because of Christ's faithful obedience in carrying out God's plans. If Christ hadn't done that, we wouldn't have a way to be reconciled to God. And so, his faithfully carrying that out is really important to us. Uh, And certainly that's a truth that is pointed out in Scripture. Apart from Christ's perfect obedience, no one could be accounted righteous by God. He kept the law perfectly, and because of his perfect obedience, it is affirmed to him. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. First Peter 2.22. Peter affirms that Christ did no sin. And in verse 24, he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. So, the faithfulness of Christ has a great impact on us and our ability to be counted righteous and to have that relationship with God. Uh, so, when I saw that, I'm like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And I really hadn't looked at it in that way. Uh, So I think that's a a pretty good possibility as to what that phrase means. Uh, As opposed to just talking about one's personal faith in Christ. Which is kind of the the other view. So any thoughts on that? (coughs) Yeah, Katrina. Well, knowing what all he's done definitely helps it, it helps go back to that idea of knowing him or to be sure of him as Lord and mm-hmm. King um, that is the basis of our faith. So it's kind of a mm-hmm. circular mm-hmm. thought. Right. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Uh, <coughs> moving on. Uh Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So, when did Paul come to know Jesus? Now, it's already been pointed out he knew who Jesus was before he ever had a relationship with him. And he was trying to get rid of the followers of Jesus. So, when did Paul come to know Jesus in this part, in in this respect? 
I really think that's a two-part answer. <clears throat> Certainly he came to know Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him and he made a huge change in his life. But I would submit that he still didn't know Jesus like he does now. The more you learn about Jesus, the more you study about him, the more you conform your life to his life, the more we come to know Jesus. Uh, it's kind of like the more you know, the more you know you don't know. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's things in life that way. Uh, I mean, I'm an accountant my whole career, saw a lot of changes. <laughs> my first job, you know, we had paper and pencil ledgers, and I had a 10-key uh, adding machine, and then moved into spreadsheets, and, uh, I mean, Microsoft Excel has become the standard, and, uh, I mean, early on, I got to know Excel, and I thought, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. Well, the more you know it, the more you know you don't know. <laughs> and what I know just scratches the surface. <laughs> yeah, Bob. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and unbelief. So he knew Jesus in two ways. Right. In unbelief and in, then in complete Submission and belief. Yep. Brad? I think, too, just the, the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law um, is kind of, and I, I don't know that I have a good illustration for that, but trying to be saved by something that is a pointer to the real thing is um, just misguided, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, like I might learn all of the the laws of football, but unless I actually go out and try and play the game, or unless I am Tom Brady and win seven Super Bowls, then I haven't really mastered the law. And I'd rather be saved by Tom Brady rather than the laws of football, right? Trying to, I, and that's a poor example, but I can't think of a better one. Somebody else might have a better but trying to be saved by uh, the precursor versus the fulfillment and the Messiah um, is just, just totally different. And once you know the Messiah, then you for you totally forget about the right. law. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But yeah, a really poor example for this part of the country, especially. But yeah, uh, good point, Emily. Well, it's like who's going to save you—the fireman or the fire safety code? Like the uh, fire safety code is there. You know all the things you're supposed to do. At my school, we have to spray all of our fabrics with the spray and make uh-huh. sure everything's up to code. Uh-huh. But like those things might prevent you from having a really bad fire or from letting a fire get out of control. But really, what's going to save you is the fireman, if there is mm-hmm. one fire. 
Yeah, that's way better. Really <laughs> <laughs> I need somebody. To Just give it to me. <laughs> that, that's good. Thank you. Okay. Good comments. Well, the weakness in the law, it identified sin, but it couldn't save you from sin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, one thing that struck me about verse 10, maybe it didn't strike anybody else this way, but he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. He says, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The order of that seems backwards. Christ suffered first and then was resurrected. Did it strike anybody else that way? Kind of, but I mean, if you think about how Paul experienced it, he experienced the resurrection from the dead through Christ in in baptism, and then he got to participate in the fellowship of his sufferings. Um, that Paul got to participate in the fellowships of Christ's sufferings when he began following it. But you, yeah, you're uh-huh. right when you're thinking about it. Yeah, either way. Yeah, uh, but no, I I think you hit on the key to it. Because when you look at it from Paul's point of view, he experienced Christ's resurrection kind of first. He saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And his following of him caused him great suffering. Uh, And the same can be true for us. Jesus told his disciples to expect persecution and suffering because of their stand for him, their proclamation of him as the resurrected Savior. There's going to be people that are going to reject you and persecute you because of that. And while we, at this point, don't suffer the same levels of persecution that they did. But if we're standing for Christ, we'll have people make fun of us. And we'll experience sufferings. And so, from that standpoint, the order makes pretty good sense. So that... uh, Yeah. It even goes further when you think about being conformed to his death and then slipping back into chapter 2 about how his attitude should be the same as Christ (laughs) humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross that it just adds another Mm -hmm. layer of experiencing the resurrection and then the suffering and then conforming yourself in the same way that Christ did Mm -hmm. okay All right, anything else? Moving on, because I'd like to get most of the way through the chapter this morning. Uh, And then he says, uh, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, uh, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, 
But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Uh, One of the thoughts that I ran across when he talks about the latter part of verse 12 in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus the words laid hold of uh, lay hold of and laid hold of same Greek root word so very similar meanings but it seems to be talking about he was able to lay hold of Christ because Christ laid hold of him first. Uh, he was grasped by Christ, so to speak. Uh, and again, we can we should be able to relate to that. When we become obedient in our conversion, Christ grabs a hold of us. And then that affects the rest of our lives. How we view life. How we act in our life. We start marching to the beat of a different drummer. And we're different from the world because of that. And so I thought that was interesting the way he put that. Uh, And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, So were there any... What do you think? Any comments, thoughts on that? Okay, Uh, then verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, he says, I haven't laid hold of it yet I've not accomplished everything yet in spite of all the good that he had done he still needed to do more and that brought to mind the idea of retirement retirement is something that I think a lot of people think about quite a bit I did. I was, you know, not that far in my career, and I'd start thinking about retirement. Uh, and I'd look forward to retirement. But when it comes to the work of the Lord, there's no retirement, at least here. 
The retirement plan is after the grave. And even that might not be so much retirement because the pictures we have of heaven will be worshiping and praising God. So we'll still be doing something. It'll just be different. But sadly, I know some Christians, it's like, well, I've done all this, but I'm I'm getting older now, so it's time for me to retire and let the younger ones do it. I mean, I've heard that said. Uh, I heard it a lot when I was younger. Uh, and it's fine to try to develop the abilities of those that are younger. But you know there's enough work for all of us, old and young alike. And so we all need to keep working for the cause of Christ and not retire, not rest on our laurels, not uh, coast. And then he uses the imagery of pressing on toward the goal uh, and doing so uh, with great ambition. Kind of like a runner running for the finish line. And when you see a a race like that, how often do you see the runners looking behind them? Occasionally, but you know what happens? It slows them down. Uh, (laughs) I was watching the Colts game last night. I don't know how many of you saw the end of that. But Jonathan Taylor broke through the line on a, I think it was like a third down. And he breaks out into the clear. And the Patriots had cut it to three. It was late in the game. And he takes off for the end zone. Then he looked back to see who was behind him, and there was a defensive back catching up with him. And when he looked back, he slowed down a little bit. Because he's a fast dude, especially for as big as he is. Well, after that one glance back, he didn't do that again. He pressed toward that goal, and he made the end zone to score the touchdown that pretty much put it out of reach with like two minutes to go. So, that's an example of this. When you look back, and you know, Paul talks about you know forgetting those things that are behind uh, and pressing forward. Uh, and we should do the same thing in our Christian race. Not focus on what we've done in the past, but focus on what we can do now and in the future for the cause of Christ. Yeah. And 
I think it, it seems to be this, what lies behind, he may be specifically referring to all of those things he listed in verses 5 and 6, um, but in, in some ways for us, we also need to forget not only the good things that we have done, but also the bad things that we have done, so that we're not always yes. expecting those those consequences. We're we're not having to um, haul along down the field, you know, all of the fumbles that we've had, all of the lost balls, all of the you know dropped passes, whatever. We're not carrying all of that. We've just got we're just going now, and all of that is is behind mm-hmm. us and. We don't need to deal with it because it's already been <clears throat> dealt with. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Forgetting what's behind uh, both our past accomplishments and past failures. And, and that's a good point. Uh, and sadly, some focus on their past, <coughs> past failures and can't get beyond that. And therefore think, what's the use? Bob? It would, it would seem too here in the context that that Paul is the looking back in the immediate context would be what the Judaizing teachers are laying at the feet mm-hmm. of these new Christians uh, to turn back to the law to the in, the inadequate and the incomplete and uh, and of course the pressing on is to continue putting that behind you sacrificing it and well for that matter our whole lives. Obviously, Paul did. Everything we see about him is that he he did an about face. He would have been unrecognizable to a fellow uh, Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was a, he would have been considered considered a stranger to them because he laid it all down mm-hmm. and put it away. And so unrecognizable <laughs> that it didn't take long after his conversion that the ones that he was standing with for trying to kill him. Yeah, boy. In your illustration, there's a difference in the goal and the prize. What's the difference in the goal and the prize here? I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) Yeah. The idea of the prize... uh, Yeah, I think there was still the athletic imagery there uh, because uh, it was common practice in that day for the winner at the end of the race would be called up to the judge's stand to receive the prize. And uh, it's called a crown. A crown of laurel leaves is a... Yeah. yeah, but it's really a wreath. Uh, the, the term used uh, for crown, uh, and I'm trying to find where that is, but I remember studying about that. Uh, it was not the royal crown for a ruler, but the, like a wreath uh, that the, the victor would get. Uh, but one of the things, this prize isn't just for one it's for those who finish the race and uh, and that's important as well so 
Did you have some other in thoughts, fact, Boyd? In Second Corinthians five nine, Paul said, "I make it my goal to be pleasing to God." So, uh, yeah, he's running toward that. Yes. Goal. Okay. Yep, Bob. He's the scripture upward, the upward call of God. Uh, uh, when I think that way, uh, I think of everything that will facilitate God's will, and God's will is to have His children around His footstool, uh, salvation of our souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Paul was pressing on that, that. That's the ultimate prize, you know, to be right. in the presence of Him who saves us. Right. Okay, anything else? Okay, then we get to verses 15 and 16. Uh, it says, Let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. So, it seems to me Paul is... This is the end of the paragraph, and he's kind of drawing all this to a conclusion of what he said. Uh, you know, going clear back really to verse 4. It says, in verse 4, Paul had introduced himself as one who had every privilege, both from the standpoint of pedigree and accomplishment, but as one who had miserably failed to arrive at a righteousness of his own out of the law. It was for this reason that he had given up everything that he had formerly prized in order that he might gain Christ. He continued to view those things he had in the flesh as rubbish. His great ambition was to know Christ, to gain him, to be conformed unto his death. And for this reason he was ever pressing forward to attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I ran across that and I thought that was really good. That's kind of the summary of what he said. The idea of perfect, don't be confused by that. It really just means mature, uh, as it does oftentimes in the scriptures. But he's urging the Philippians, you need to keep living by that standard even though there's some trying to hinder you from that don't let them succeed because this prize awaits you if you will faithfully finish the race right Um, so another example um, that's been bugging me the whole time is kind of like uh if you have breadcrumbs that lead to a house of infinite feasting and you're going along and you're trying to sustain yourself on these breadcrumbs and you get to the house of infinite feasting and then to think about turning around and going, well, wait, there's a few breadcrumbs back here. I'm just going to try and live off of those. Um, that would be foolish. Um, in as much as the Judaizing teachers wanted you to go back and try and obtain your faith, your salvation from those breadcrumbs, um, that would be just as foolish. That's what they're trying to get them to do. And so he says, 
You know, only live up to what you've already attained. Don't forsake the abundant feasting in Christ for the breadcrumbs that led you there. Okay. That's a good illustration. I like that. Yeah. I like food illustrations. <laughs> and I think you do too. I don't know why I don't <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Okay. Anything else? The, the This attitude then in verse 15, is that the attitude of counting all things for loss? Kind of uh, among other things, things, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, then, 17 through 21, uh, Paul kind of makes a contrast of characters. He's been talking about the Judaizers, the ones who are hanging on to the law, and he contrasts those with the true citizens of heaven. Uh, so we can kind of in the few minutes that remain, kind of introduce that. And then we'll finish that up Wednesday night. And then also want to get into chapter 4. Uh, our, our original breakdown had me going through verse 9. But Craig told me Wednesday night, feel free to not get finished. Because <laughs> he's still got two more classes uh, to finish Philippians and then review. Uh but I do want to get into uh, at least down through verses 6 and 7 of Philippians 4. Uh, because those personally mean a lot to me. The idea of not worrying and the peace of God. Uh, so I got thoughts for that. But, uh, but here in uh, the end of chapter 3... Uh, says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So, Paul encourages them to follow his example, but not just him. But any who are walking that walk, uh, they're encouraged to follow that example and to receive that encouragement. Because when you've got somebody else working for the same thing, it gets easier. And back earlier, he's encouraged them to stand firm, stand together against these false teachers. Uh, and the idea of doing that together, it makes it easier than feeling like you're all alone, standing all alone. Uh, you know, the end of, uh, uh, in, in Hebrews, like in chapter 12, uh, chapter 11, the chapter of Faith's Hall of Fame. You've got all these faithful people. And the first verse of chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, 
Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I thought of that because that fits what Paul's talking about here in Philippians. We've got all these others with us and use that to help us keep our eyes on the goal and finish the race. So thank you for your comments and uh, we'll continue on Wednesday night.